Today's opening joke needs to be the chat text before we started the call. <laughs> I could totally see that narration. Screaming, yeah. more screaming, howling, burning flesh smell. It's really going now. It's really going. There goes his shirt. <laughs> Here comes Chuck with, is that a marshmallow on a stick? <laughs> if he had hair, he wouldn't anymore. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support, high performance, all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss-free, continuous delivery. Check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them, but if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash podcast. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 168 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have James Edward Gray. Actually, I'm going to need you to refer to me as Mr. Haskell from now on. Awesome. David Brady? Man, I had something all ready to go, but now I just want to be Mrs. Haskell. <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and all I have to say is, Hello, everybody! <laughs> I'm just feeling good today. Anyway, uh, we also have a special guest, and that is Craig, is it Muth or Muth? Muth. Muth. Like music. So neither. You want to introduce yourself real neither. quick? Yeah, I'm Craig. I'm the author of Ziki, which I've been working on for uh, about 13 years, and I'm super excited to be on this podcast. Woo-hoo! Awesome. <laughs> so, Wait, Craig Muth, t- talk to us about your inability to ship a product. <laughs> <laughs> a great opener. Yeah, great question. Up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, How he had people contribute $85,000 to not ship a product. <laughs> That's been out there for, for so 14 years wow. with many satisfied users. I actually knew about Ziggy for, I can't, I can't remember. I think I probably mentioned it on the podcast about did, when I found did, out actually. about it. 
yeah, yeah. It, it was years ago. So it was, it was like two years ago. It was after my Ziki RubyConf talk. You and Avdi both picked Ziki as a pick at the end in two separate uh, episodes. I was pretty thrilled about that. That's right. We that's how I found it was the RubyConf talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty gratified that we've been doing this long enough to where it was picked years ago yeah. on the show. <laughs> so Ziki's gone through this this life cycle. Apparently, it's been kind of under the radar and then it kind of started to get out there and now it's a kickstarter maybe you could walk us through how it happened yeah it was a kickstarter it ended the sunday before last barely squeaked by in the last week i uh, made up half of the uh you know the distance to the goal super thrilled about that really excited to jump in uh how it started you want me to sort of like go way back to the beginning or maybe i should do a description of it first yeah i was gonna say yeah can we get a definition what is ziki um, it's many things, but uh, think of it as expanding commands. So it lets you expand the output of shell commands in a very GUI-ish way. Uh, it's spelled X-I-K-I, and the X is for expanding. So let's say you're in your shell console, and you type ls, and it shows you a list of files and directories. If you want to see the files in one of those directories, Ziki lets you just move your cursor down to that directory and expand it right there in place. Kind of like you do in a GUI file tree. Instead of, you know, typing CD and uh, retyping that director name and another LS. Like, it's the directory is already there. Why do you have to retype it? You know, when I just move your cursor down and expand it and drill in. You know, just like the uh, OSX file browser or the Chrome inspector where you, you know, you click the little triangle to drill into uh, directories or HTML or JSON. Uh, Ziki basically does that, but everything's plain text and the text is always editable. And you're expanding into, you know, shell commands and other things. So really, it's, it's actually more similar to uh, code folding, the code folding feature in IDEs. You guys familiar with that? Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of IDEs, you can click a little triangle or a plus or a keyboard shortcut, and you can expand and collapse uh, methods and classes. So Ziki is closer to that because everything's plain text. It's always editable. And it's much less rigid than a, a GUI, like, you know, a Chrome Inspector. You can't, like, just copy part of, of your HTML and delete it. But, of course, in Ziki, you can because it's just one big text area. And you can do everything keyboard only in Ziki, which is different than most, you know, sort of like expanding tree kind of things. So it keeps everything really lightweight and shell friendly. You want me to do a couple of, uh, couple of ex- other examples? Sure. Like, so like talk about Git, because I think that's pretty good. Oh, cool. yeah. Like Git integration. Yeah. So if you're in your shell and you type Git and then, you know, return, it shows you like the most common commands, checkout, status, log. And the sort of Ziki way of doing things is instead of having to then retype, you know, git space log, you just move your cursor down to uh, the output of the git command where, you know, the log line is. And then you type a keyboard shortcut and that expands right there in line and it inserts the git log, basically. So it's running a command for you behind the scenes. And then uh, you can move your cursor down, you know, one level deeper into, you know, down to one of the commits and you can expand that with the keyboard shortcut and it shows your commit message and your files, and then you can move down and expand one of the files and see the diffs. And then from there, you can expand that, and it navigates to the file. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not going to be paying attention to most of the rest of the episode because <laughs> this is so awesome. i got to go play with this. I'm going to be playing with her, and we should bring that up. Like, It's one thing to hear us try to describe it, but uh, it is something else to see it in action. We'll put a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. There's several videos on there, and so you can go watch the videos and see, like, interesting Ziki things going on, tons of examples, yeah. and and you really need to, like, watch them for a second and be like, whoa, what's going on here? Because it's yeah. something. It's so something you're, 
Craig, your Zicky logo is this octopus grabbing onto all kinds of things like, you know, Git and the web and the console and that. And one of the things that's got a hold of is databases. So yes, can you, like, drill, like, active record? Can you, like, go to one table and then jump to another table through the relationship and that sort of stuff? Through the relationship? Not really. That wouldn't all be right. too hard to... It would be hard to her to mock up by just inspecting the, you know, metadata. The, I mean, really the cool thing about Zicky is how kind of like lightweight it is to create commands and like mm-hmm. extend them. So, uh, we should pair and, uh, and do that. That'd be, that'd be I'm pretty in. cool. I'm totally in. The main like beta, basically database use case. I have, I have, uh, Zicky commands for Mongo, for Couch, for RethinkDB, MySQL. Um, and the, the main use case is you just type like whatever, RethinkDB, for example. And then uh, you expand it, or you're on the shell con- you're in the shell console, and you type like xsh space rethink db for you know expanding shell or Zicky shell, and then it usually just lists out the tables at the root, and then you expand those, and it shows the records, and then you can type to incrementally filter down to one of the records, and then expand that out, and then you see the contents, and then you can uh, edit and expand to save back. Very cool. Okay, so we're starting to get the picture of what it is now. Tell us this cycle; it's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it started out 13, 14 years ago as me just hacking uh, Emacs and adding little features for myself. And over time, you know, I was kind of doing that when I was supposed to be doing my, my you know, day job and kind of getting distracted. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've always been kind of um, kind of rebellious about uh, doing things the way I wanted to, and I, I always wanted to have a really flexible interface. Uh, like, it started out, I wrote a, um, a file browser, like, you know, the tree kind of file browser all in plain text with just two space indenting to do the nesting. And if, if I'm looking at, you know, like a directory and I have 20 models and I only care about two of them at the moment and one starts with A and one starts with Z, I don't want to scroll up and down, you know, between those. And, you know, maybe I've got a controller also that I care about. I want to be able to just temporarily delete everything from the view and just have those, you know, three files. So I made this really, really kind of like flexible file browser where it's basically just paths with two space indenting. And then when you do a keyboard shortcut on one of those, the files, it'll just open it. And when you keyboard shortcut on one of the directories, it'll just expand it, you know, with one level deeper with two space indenting. So that's how it started out. And then it slowly evolved. After a, a couple years, I started to take it a lot more seriously because I, I kind of realized that uh, the power of you know applying this this simple kind of like text only paradigm uh, it, it could apply to kind of user interfaces in general. And I started making all the database ones. The next one was a shell command, and uh, you know I figured it's very wiki like, which is why it's Zicky because it's you know named after a wiki, but with an X for expanding. So I figured, like, hey, let's make a, a wiki syntax for running shell commands, which is kind of obvious. It's already there, dollar sign space, right? That's what people put on the documentation and stuff. So if you type dollar sign space on any line, and then you do a keyboard shortcut on that, uh, it's control E for expand by default. But you can uh, do control enter also, actually, is, is probably the more common default. That will run the shell command and insert it in line. And once I kind of had that, I realized, oh, well, if you can do directory paths and you can do shell commands, why not combine those and have a shell command indented underneath a directory? And then it runs the shell command in that directory. And then after I had that, I realized, oh, wait a minute, why not just do this on remote directories also? So you can have, you know, username at server slash path, and then you can expand, you know, remote directories and run shell commands remotely as well. And then once I had that, I figured like, oh, if I can browse file systems and directories and files, why not also browse databases? 
And if you can do that, why not edit them as well? And if you can do that, why not, you know, have like a web interface too, where you can browse like a little mobile kind of interface of all these menus. And basically that's the whole story of Zicky is each time I do something, something else kind of becomes obvious. Like, why don't I do this too? And everything is just text in and text out. So it's super light, lightweight. It's not like you know, you're making an Eclipse plugin, which I've done also, or a web page where, where you think like, oh, I want to do this interface. The first step is, well, I've got to figure out what it's going to look like, what my wording is, where the buttons go, what the buttons say, whether there's going to be text fields, you know, separate text fields or radio, you know, radio buttons. All that stuff is kind of trivial, but honestly, it takes a lot of brain cycles and a lot of thinking. Even once you figure that out, you have to like arrange it. With shell commands, you just basically dump a bunch of text out so they're lighter weight. And Zicky is, stays very close to shell commands in that respect. It's just text in, text out. So whenever I have an idea of like, hey, why don't I try this? It's it's literally just a couple of minutes of like typing it out and then I'm already trying it. And you know, you can get a, a rough version of most things working in just like minutes, assuming you've got like you know, a gem or, you know, or it's easy to, to code up the actual, like doing the work, uh, making the interface in Zicky is always, is really easy. So I'm just, it's, you know, obvious next step after obvious next step. And then here I am, uh, 14 years later. <laughs> you gave it to a couple of friends and, and kind of got a kind of mini test group. And eventually you decided, Hey, I should show this at the Ruby conference, I think is where I finally got wind of it. And, and so you're like trying to get it to a wider audience. And then now you're, you're at the point where you're like, Hey, I think I've got something here and it's time to double down on it and see, see how it goes. Yeah. The way I got the friends involved, uh, they were actually coworkers before they were friends. And I'm obsessed with pair programming. And of course was really bummed that, uh, that Avdi couldn't make it today. I, I got, I want to say before I forget, Avdi backed the Kickstarter in a kind of generous way. And uh, I just wanted to thank him. Really, really appreciated his support. And he tweeted a ton. And so did you, James. Uh, he tweeted about the Kickstarter. And I really, really appreciate that. Uh, Avdi and I actually paired on Ziki uh, about a couple years ago. We made a Kausei command. <laughs> Awesome. Kind of sweet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the way I got my friends involved was, was we were pair programming on projects and I was kind of like, you know, using Zicky and they were using something else. And I was like, Hey, check this out. And they were like, Hey, show me that. So I, I taught three, four people, you know, to use Zicky by pair programming with them on, on full time projects. And, uh, that's just a really good way to, to learn things in general uh, and particularly things with a lot of keyboard shortcuts. Because you can just, uh, you know, basically pass on the information. I was, you know, continually adding to it and changing it. And I would just say like, hey, here's the new way keyboard shortcut for this. And then there'd be like very low friction there. So I could, I could change it. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've used it for years. They haven't used a whole lot of the, like the newer advanced features because it's kind of hard for me to communicate those to people. And really the whole sort of uh, reason for being for Zicky is for me to use it for myself. Everything in it I use for very practical things with a couple exceptions more recently where I've made things that I just thought would be cool. But it's something that I only like, I, I've actually made a ton of things uh, that I thought would be useful. And then I didn't end up, they're kind of cool, but not cool enough for me to kind of remember them. So I just like, you know, deleted them and it sort of evolved for the, just specifically the stuff that's useful for me. And yeah, a couple years ago, I did a RubyConf talk and then I did a Strange Loop talk on Ziki and a QCon talk more recently. And it's just sort of just recently, I think, has Ziki gotten to the point where I wanted it to be, where I feel like it's really, really going to have a great user experience. Specifically, the, the new feature I kind of just wrapped up in the last couple of months is a contextual menu, like a drop-down menu. Like if you're using Ziki from a text editor, you can actually use your mouse to click around and, and expand and collapse. 
and you can actually right click for text editors that support that and you can see a drop you know a GUI drop down menu on pretty much anything so like you're looking at a file path and you right click on it on a file and you have delete and rename you know the standard things which you know that paradigm of a contextual menu everyone knows and is used to so I made a text-only kind of console equivalent of that, uh, you know, right-clicking to the drop-down paradigm, which is you just type Control-D for drop-down or whatever shortcut you want to map it to, and it shows you a text drop-down, which is just items indented underneath, and then you can pick from one of those. So I think that is going to make it, that's gotten it to the point where it's going to be really, you know, sort of easy to learn because people will just, like, say, okay, I want to do something here, I'll just try the drop-down menu. And I won't have to, you know, have this extensive documentation explaining, like, here's how, how you do this. It'll all just be right there. So, yeah, uh, within the last kind of year, I've kind of realized, all right, finally, all these ideas I've been building up for years and years, I've had time to do them. And now it's time to reach out and, you know, make an actual real, uh, you know, user-friendly installer. Hopefully, it'll be a one-line installer and and actually start throwing it out there for the world to use and start actually, you know, kind of supporting people and uh, with the installer. Many people have gotten to to use it, but it's uh, the installer now that's out there now really kind of sucks, which is half of what the Kickstarter was about. And it has issues. It's like it requires a specific version of Ruby one nine three, and uh, with that with made Maverick, me cry. yeah, <laughs> you're not alone. But yeah, with Mavericks now, Ruby two is there by default, so I should be able to make the installer really uh really slick. And on Linux, you know, you can just say, hey, install Ruby 2 and everyone's fine. So yeah, the Kickstarter was all about supporting Sublime and Vim, which I'm working on and hope to get out in a few months and making the installer uh, nice. And so many people came out and supported it and so grateful and excited about that. And now I want to just kind of like pair program with everyone uh, over the next year and get something out there that's awesome. awesome. Make a bunch of crazy menus with people. That is awesome. So you talked about you started this like 12, 14 years ago, tinkering with stuff, just like on the side, like something would distract you and you'd go after it. And I'm, I'm just so happy to realize that there's a fine line between yak shaving and ADDDD, which is ADD driven <laughs> development. And that line is that. 12 years. <laughs> I have hope that 12 years from now, I will have a cool product uh, as the result of what I've been calling yak shaving, but I'm now going to call ADDDD from now I on. I love that. I've, did you coin that? Just A-D-D-D-D. now. Yep. I, that is, I'm going to use that if, with it's your permission. Perfect. <laughs> that, is, that describes my development style to a T. <laughs> so I have to say, I played around with Ziki. I actually paired with Federico Yaketti for like an hour <laughs> playing with Ziki. Some- and it was it was really wicked awesome. Uh, the the only problem I had was that when I run it in Bash, some of the time I get errors, and some of the time, you know, I just run the command and it works fine and it does cool things with the file system. The other issue I have though is that with the menus, I wasn't able to actually click on anything in iTerm and have it expand, and so I'd have to keep running Zicky commands and just drilling in to get things to work. Mm-hmm. And so what I'd love to see is an interactive shell, and Federico actually showed me that he basically had it interactive in Emacs, which, again, I couldn't get it to work on my machine. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you're going to solve all these things, but, yeah, I, I'm just wondering, when is it going to work on my machine? <laughs> when you say click, do you mean you're, like with your mouse in iTerm? With my mouse or basically anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the iTerm... The, like in terminals, the mouse support is sort of like a really specific right. thing. So there's, in terminals, there's it's atten- intentionally all keyboard only. If you use yeah. 
right now, if you use but, Aquamax or mm-hmm. Emacs, you can do the the clicking. Right. But in the terminal, everything should work with the keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, I could. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, they're they, keyboard shortcuts, so it's not move the cursor over this and hit enter space or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's, can, a, that's a good thing to mention because uh, when I first look at Ziggy, I was almost kind of turned off by the clickiness of the demos kind of thing and i was like no 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 i'm a power user i want to use a keyboard and it turns out that everything you can do in zinky with the mouse you can also do with a keyboard right (laughs) yeah that's a very very good point to make because many people have been turned off particularly in like reddit comments and hacker news comments people are just brutal about like ah the mouse for a command that's horrible i would never use that this guy's needs to go dig a hole and bury himself in it no, I swear, I, I have proof. <laughs> my my favorite thing about tribes on the internet is not what they're about, but what they hate about other tribes. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who live their life with their pinky on the control key and their other fingers on the Z, X, and C, and you know, with a finger reach over to V for the clipboard commands, right? And uh-huh. actually, they're, they're, it's X, C, and V, right? And then the, it's another finger reach to get to Control Z for undo. And their right hand is on the mouse key. Um, <laughs> and they will just drag, copy, click, paste, you know. And I've worked that way. I mean, 15 years ago. I mean, I, I, I could spend an hour editing text, you know, without typing with my right hand. It's just insane. Yeah. And, and those people hate the yeah, keyboard I- shortcut crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. It's okay though. It's like it's fun to hate. Like I, you know, I'm actually probably equally as I, I won't like use swear words and stuff, but I'm probably equally as brutal with other people's things that they say. Like, hey, this is a great thing. You know, if someone wants your attention with their crazy new project that they say is awesome, you know, they're kind of putting the, themselves out there. And you know, I can take the abuse. It's fine. But, but no, I, I know what you mean about that. You know, mouse jockeys is I'm actually kind of in the keyboard shortcut tribe. So mouse jockeys is what mouse I call those people. <laughs> but I, I love it. <laughs> I have to say, I've worked with a few mouse jockeys that actually can just shred. Like, I worked with a guy, uh, you know, many years back who used Notepad on Windows and the mouse to, like, edit HTML. And he was, he, he just shredded. Like, he could get, he was super productive. He would, like, copy mm-hmm. and paste, move the mouse, like, lightning speed. I worked at, there were a lot of people like that, that, uh, they're so productive and just using, using GUIs. I actually like to almost never use the mouse, but I, sometimes I do. Sometimes it's just convenient. You just, like, you know, you could, yeah, you could type, 10 keys and, and, uh, feel proud of yourself. Or you could just drag the mouse and click somewhere where it's, you know, you just want to navigate to on the screen. But yeah, 90% of the time I use the keyboard. And yeah, Ziki is built kind of for the keyboard for plain text fundamentally. But if you want to invite new users, like none of us, very few of us at least use the keyboard to navigate the web, you know, like, well, I, I use the email client and Emacs for a while, but then I'm like, oh, Gmail, you just like click around and like, there's a new feature, you just click on it. You don't have to like know the shortcut or like not even know that the feature is there. So the mouse, you know, if you want to invite new people and it's like, hey, new person, use my user interface. You have to support the mouse, you know, or like, you know, touch interface or something. Like none of us are going to go to a web page that we've never heard of before and read a list of keyboard shortcuts, even like the most hardcore keyboard person. They'll use the mouse and click around on links and they'll, you know, they'll be up and running with the web page. There uh, are people who will use like Vimium in Chrome. I do. And everybody who sees them using it thinks they're crazy. <laughs> it's pretty I, awesome. I don't think you're crazy, James, just because I've never seen you use it. As soon as that happens, the bit will flip. 
Okay, that's good. Craig's <laughs> hit on this concept a couple of times, though, I think is worth calling out. You mentioned that it was hard to disseminate information from Ziggy without pairing with people over it so you could show them a few things. And then later you discovered that if you turn things into these drop-down menus, you know, that then you could, because you could click or whatever, then you could see your list of available options at any given point. And then it made it much easier to disseminate. And then you just kind of hit on a similar point where I will admit to being that guy who actually sometimes reads the keyboard shortcuts before I try to mess with something. But you're right. Most people don't and will just, you know, start clicking things and see what happens because that's way more exploratory, you know, thing, action. And I think we're talking about discoverability. Yes. The ability to, you know, find, like, Ziki is a big thing with, like, lots of commands and stuff. Mm -hmm. And even if I went and read the keyboard shortcuts, maybe a third of them would actually stick in my head per pass, Mm -hmm. you know. And and so, you know, I wouldn't get it. But the ability to be able to hunt around and pull up some pop-up menu and be like, wow, I didn't know I could access my Git log from here or whatever that adds to my repertoire much easier and quicker and allows me to discover what Ziki's capable of. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I like that word discoverability. Someone just kind of recently drew that to my attention as being kind of a good word for that. I just want to modify your description really quickly just for those mouse haters out there. Of which I am largely one of. When you said drop downs, like their text for the, in Ziki, like 90% of people will use text only drop downs. So I didn't, I didn't like goofy everything beyond making it just optional for some people. So like, you know, if, if you're a keyboard person, I'm taking like this drop down idea and making a text version of it, text only, keyboard only version of the drop down. Yeah. Discoverability is, is really key. Like the reason like most people aren't going to go to like a web page. If you say like, Hey, go to, here's a URL, go to the web page. The reason those all have like gooey things laid out on the screen is basically, yeah, discoverability. It's right there. You can look at it. You can, you can explore it. Even if you're using the keyboard shortcut, it's largely a graphical interface, you know, it's not text only. Whereas right. in Ziki, Ziki, everything actually is text only, but with kind of a navigational menus built into everything. Another word I like is emphasis. I feel like that's missing from so many UIs and particularly command line. It, you know, if you type git on the command line, you see, a list of what is it like more than 10 things and they're ordered alphabetically and if yeah. you're if you want to get started with git what's missing is like they don't emphasize like the two or three or four things that you need by putting them at sort of at the top and kind of hiding everything else away so ziki ziki kind of focuses on discoverability and emphasizing the stuff that you need right away right you typed git do you want to use reflog and it's like how often does that happen exactly and yeah most command interfaces are are kind of like that but they're great i love command interfaces um i feel like command interfaces are kind of it's you know some people look at them as kind of this old relic technology that's still around because it's kind of useful i actually see it as the reverse that command lines are kind of having a uh, uh you know commands are having a renaissance where like all the new exciting cutting edge Software that kind of that matters on the on the dev side are you know first and foremost only command lines like Git, AWS, Rails, Node like they're just command line interfaces first and that's why they can get up and running. So uh, you know I don't I don't think that the command line should change. I just think uh, they're uh, it's really starting to come into its own because of a lot of new things out there like you know tabs and and um, 
iTerm and like awesome shells like Z shell and fish, like people are filling in the gaps and making command lines sort of, uh, I think, go to a whole other other level. And yeah, I think I think like being able to read that, like, you know, see all those commands is awesome and a, a great use case. And for a lot of people, that's kind of the, the use case they'll want because they already read it and know about it. But there's also this kind of big missing piece, I think, of like, yeah, you're just starting out with it. You want to see something working and yeah, you could, you could go read, read a web page and spend five minutes getting up to speed with it and try it out. But if it's possible to in literally like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, just drill in and try it out and see it working. Uh, I think that should exist as a yeah. option. It's interesting that you mentioned like people expanding ZSH and bash and that with their own extensions and they're trying to grow it. When I first saw Zicky, the first thing I thought was, Oh, it's like light table for bash. Huh. <laughs> neat, neat comparison. Except that the light table made 300 and something thousand in their Kickstarter and I made 75. <laughs> <laughs> That's because light table looks dead sexy and you're crippled by bash. That's, you That's know, right. they, yeah. they've got a better marketing team than you do. Yeah. On the <laughs> other hand, Zicky's been out there working for years and years and years. We, we love you more. How about that? Yes, I'll take it. <laughs> so one thing that I want to get into a little bit and talk about is Zicky is, you keep using the word extendable, and I keep thinking about the menus and the way that they expand. Mm-hmm. But you can also add your own menus. Yes. And you can write them in Ruby, I believe. You can write them in Ruby or JavaScript or Python or CoffeeScript, pretty much anything. Ruby is the most supported language because it's Zicky's implemented in Ruby. It has been for years, but uh, a kind of relatively newer feature is support for pretty much any language. Arguably, the coolest thing about Zicky is how easy it is to create a command, you know, which is like an extension for Zicky. You can do it basically any obvious way of creating a command works. So the default kind of hello world is you create a uh, hello.txt file and you put it in a place that Zicky recognizes and then bam, you've got a working command. So if you have like hello.txt and you stick it in the commands directory in your home directory and you put world inside of the file and save it, then you've got a working command. So from your shell, uh, you can run that by typing XSH, like say you're in bash or Z shell or whatever. You can just type XSH space hello and then it will show you world. And from there you can, you can use sort of any file extension. So you could make a, a .rb file or a .py file like hello.py and then you put code in the file and when you run the command it'll run the code and then show you the output and then if you expand one of the lines of output it'll just call the script again and pass in the thing that the line that you expanded in a variable called path and then your code can look at that and say like oh they passed in you know sort of an argument i can use that to do something different and then you can uh you know you can do that recursively so you can you know so you've got like hello and then you run it and your script dumps out like states say and then you expand states and it passes that in. So your script can say like, oh, you passed in states. I'm going to dump out all the states. And then it dumps out all the states. And then you can expand like uh, Ohio. And then it will pass in uh, the path variable as states slash Ohio, basically. And then you can, you know, look at that as the parameters, you know, when you expand that and your script runs and say like, oh, I'll dump out like the capital of Ohio or information or open up a web page about Ohio or whatever. Uh, so that simple paradigm of just passing in sort of the path Using, you know, the, the climbing the path of two space indenting, you can implement kind of anything like, you know, you could you could implement browsing file systems that way, browsing kind of any UI. I should probably cover like for people that aren't familiar, familiar with Zuki, like a lot of the commands that come with it, because it's so easy to make commands. I have like hundreds of commands that come with it. There's uh, you can type HTML 
and it will just dump out some sample HTML and then you can expand that and it opens it and displays it in your browser. And you can edit the HTML and expand that again and it, it'll update it in the browser. Uh, CSS, it'll you know dump out some sample CSS and then apply that to the browser. All the databases I mentioned, there's Bootstrap to do some Bootstrap layouts. There are Zuki commands for like D3 and 3JS for like just really quickly in like 15 seconds, seeing a little sample of a library and expanding it, editing it if you want, and then seeing it working in the browser or, or somewhere else. There are commands for all kinds of like kind of utility things like searching in, in the file. So you can be in your in bash and you can type xsh dash f to search in all the file names. And it's kind of like grep, but it draws out a nest, nested tree view of the file system of the, you know, the search results. If you just do a dash f, it'll show you all the file names. And then you can type to incrementally narrow down, you know, as you type to the files that match. And uh, you can do a xsh-s for search and then, you know, type uh, argument like foo. And then it will show you a nested view of all the matches. And you can type to narrow down and then you can navigate to them. And there are just like hundreds and hundreds of other menus I've been pairing with people. I made a, uh, during a Kickstarter, I was reaching out to companies to get them to, you know, help sponsor I made a menu for Twilio. Twilio was a, was a great sponsor of the, of the Kickstarter campaign. So you type Twilio and then it shows you, uh, phone numbers and you can expand the phone number and then type something and, and bam, you sent a text message to a person right from your, this shell or a text editor. If you have a, you know, like we touched on, if your text editor has a Ziki plugin, you can just type these commands in a blank line. So you can type Twilio in a blank line in your text editor and expand it and start using Twilio and, uh, PubNub is another company that sponsored the, the Kickstarter. They do like messaging, so you can see like a, a list of uh, channels and send a message to it. Twitter, you can type Twitter and then send, see your followers. You can type uh, tweets, or I'm sorry, just tweet, and then type a message and then tweet it. And um, here, I could do that right now while we're talking. It won't, it won't be very visual. <laughs> so I'm going to go and type tweet and then say uh, tweeting while on what's your uh, at Ruby Rogues? Yeah, at Ruby Rogues. And then expand it. And I think I just tweeted that at uh, if you go to xi Twitter dot com slash xiki. I think that tweet will be there. Let me ask you a question about how you accomplish some of this because I I think it may lead to an interesting discussion. You said now that you support like tons of languages, so you know Ruby and Python and such, and people can just write commands in whatever way feels most naturally to that. Under the hood, are you doing that like as a typical Unix filter where like you know the input comes in on well, I guess in your case it's it's whatever arguments, so that comes in in like argv or whatever that language is equivalent to, you know, shell arguments are, and then they just write the standard out, and that's what you capture to show the output and stuff. Is that how you're doing that? It's pretty similar to that, but instead of standard out, uh, well, yeah, you just actually you write to standard out. There, there are two ways of doing it. You can write to standard out, or you can have a return value at the end. And the input, I actually make a little wrapper script kind of on the fly, like for Python, for example. So I take their code and I wrap it. And at the beginning, I pass in a path variable. So if you're in Python, you can just use this path variable that will magically appear to get the input. And then, yeah, you just print out the output, and that's what gets dumped in underneath as the output. Gotcha. So I asked that because... I was actually having a discussion with someone the other day. They'd written a script and it was, you know, a simple little script of like, we can call it compiling a file. So there was like this mm-hmm. file that was like source code sort of, and the script ran and it found that file. And then, you know, it created a file that was the same name, but with a different 
extension or whatever, and then it copied the data over, changing it as it was moving it over, right? And so they, they'd written the script in such a way, you know, open this file, read, and they open the output file and they're writing it across. And we're talking about that code later, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but actually I want it to work like this. And I, I actually collapsed the code down so that it just took on standard in whatever to compile and then mm. wrote whatever the compiled thing was to standard out. And on first pass, that looks like you almost have to do more work at the command line, like, because now I have to make sure, you know, I redirect standard in, or, or if you use Ruby's rgif, you can just list the files just like you, you did in his version, but, and then I have to redirect the output at least to put it in the file I want it in. But then I started showing that now that it was this thing that followed this set of standards that have been agreed upon by the Unix community, you know, that mm. now it's this piece in a bigger machine. And so I started showing how I could send the output to PB copy on my Mac to get it on my clipboard, or I started showing how I could key the file to an output file and a standard out so I could put it in a file so I have it, but I can also kind of visually inspect to see did I get what I thought I was getting, you know, or things like that, and just kind of how it fits into this larger, larger ecosystem. I think what I'm talking about here is composability, how mm -hmm. that you can combine these various pieces to do, you know, these interesting things. And it seems to me like Zicky really hits it out of the park on the composability front, you know, because you have all these different things that can drill into these commands and, and work in different ways. And then because everything's just text, you can kind of compose this environment that's what you're doing right now. So like to give an example, if I were working on my Rails app mm -hmm. and maybe what I needed to do was edit a few files, like you said, I could LS my models directory or whatever, remove mm -hmm. all the models that have nothing to do with the feature I'm working on, leave the others there, you know, maybe invent some shell command that's how I'm currently monitoring what I'm doing. Like, this will be successful when this command finally outputs zero entries or whatever. So I can keep checking that over and over again. I can maybe even have my database up for the particular table I'm concerned with and editing the entries in there as I need, you know. In addition, it seems like I basically composing the interface that solves exactly the problem that I'm working on right then. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, Zicky kind of has a uh, like kind of a UI focused kind of composability where you can basically get the output of something and then pass it into something else. That's that's kind of awesome. Like, uh, actually developed most of Zicky in parallel with my sort of like web startup, which is memorize.com. And like I said, everything I made in Zicky was like something I used. An example of of what you're talking about is like I've got uh, my models. That are, you know, I'm, I just can access them remotely on the, the server with YAML. So I've got a, um, and dump them out as YAML. So I've got a command, say models that will dump out, uh, you know, let you drill into the models and then grab it. And then once you've got the output as YAML, you could take that, you know, it's just text dumped into your text file and you can take that and save it into a file or like, you know, I can take it from prod and then dump it directly into local by just, you know, changing the, the, the command that's above it 
to change it from you know prod to local and then expand it to save it locally and i could send it in a, you know an email by putting an email above it and having it nested under you know an email address or i could uh, tweet it you know for example so yeah it's it's kind of a cool type of composability yeah actually i'm really excited about uh, people kind of making more commands that that work together my long term plan like i said is to kind of pair with everyone and uh, I really think like kind of, uh, I mean, Avdi is, is kind of the champion of this, the, the pair with me tag and everything. Huge fan of that. I think this, this collaborative thing where people kind of make their own commands that work with other people's commands and just people getting together in general and pairing with each other on open source is just going to be a huge, huge and kind of awesome part of the future of the way developers just connect with each other in general. With pair programming, kind of like, uh, like Avdi has said in various podcasts, like you get the motivation for free, like, you know, it's not a, a pain. You don't even want to like slack off because you're you're sitting there with someone and you're having fun, you're brainstorming. So I'm I'm uh, really looking forward to pairing with a ton of people and you know get connected with them and and um you know get them working on Ziki and then even collaborating with them on on you know profitable projects. Like I've got a, a really awesome idea for the next big feature on Memorize.com, and I I might actually kind of be at the point where I want to talk to some investors about that. I'm not sure, but I think it's another sort of huge missing piece that won't take that long to get out there. I'm hoping some of the collaborators that I, I pair with on Ziki eventually will just really hit it off and I'll say like, hey, what you want to like collaborate with me on this uh, on my, my website or whatever. But yeah, I think kind of if you can have a common language where the code that you make, you know, even in different languages with different paradigms, if you can have sort of a composable UI interface, it's going to make just kind of collaborating with people, you know, easier. In general. There are tons of sort of performance things that need to be worked out there because kind of like you said, you know, when, when I shell out to Ziki to a Python script, I'm just like making a process and then killing it. If you're just clicking on something in a UI, that's actually so quick that it's it's uh, not noticeable. But I think there's going to be like sort of an interlanguage bridge that won't be too hard to implement if, if uh, you know, there's sort of like a de facto standard for it where you can keep a, you know, Python process alive and then just communicate with it. And, you know, that way you can sort of get the speed of development and the composability and the interoperability, you know, with performance on top of that. Yeah, Sorry, I'm, bou- I'm bouncing around to many topics. I apologize. No, that's a good point. Yeah, that you have the standard interface and and the ease of that, but you have to trade it off against other things like, you know, if they're running a sub command on every single file in the directory, probably the ideal solution is not to fork 30 Ruby processes, right? So yeah, the, the cool thing about, you know, the way I'm using this, that uh, sort of basically way of running things is if you're just clicking around in a UI and you're one person, like you can have a few milliseconds there to start up a process and it's, you don't even distinguish it. But it would be nice, you know, to like sort of take this paradigm and apply it to, you know, like sort of websites and like high volume things as like a language where not only can you like navigate and discover the features of something while you're using it, but then you can take those sort of paths and menu items that you used manually and use that as an API as well and like plug it into into code. Yeah, that was kind of where I was going with the composability thing. One of the things yeah. I got out of my discussion with this other programmer about Unix filters and the power of them, or as every Vim user knows, Vim's commands are ultimately uh, composable. You know, you delete a file, a line, or whatever. You know, you trigger that delete, and then you compose it with something else to say what you're deleting, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and the way you combine those things. But this is like a fundamental concept of programming. These, like, little tools that that work together and pipeline and stuff, even in a 
a well-developed object-oriented system, right? Your objects are these little things mm -hmm. that you plug into each other in certain ways to get certain outcomes, right? And that's, yeah. it turns out to be this kind of fundamental thing, I think, of being able to combine these little pieces or you put these little pieces together in ways that you want to get the desired outcome. Yeah, totally. And it's been my opinion for a long time that discoverability, before I use that word, discoverability and emphasis are really big missing pieces in just code in general. Like if you go into a new project, you know, you see a big list of classes. Maybe, you know, it's nice if they're organized nicely with models and views or whatever, or controllers. But fundamentally, you've got a big list of classes and a big list of methods. And if you want to discover and see what's important, like you're kind of left to your own or like a little short documentation. I think, you know, this like uh, user discoverability it would be great if it existed in a new project. Like, let's say you like hired someone to make a new feature for your your program, and when they were done, you know, with like uh, two weeks of work, you know, my my preference is actually to pair with people. Then you don't have this miscommunication. But let's say you paid a pairing team, you know, of two people to do something, and then they hand it over to you, and it's just like a code into the library that you're going to plug in. But how awesome would it be if you could just click and see a little UI where you clicked around and expanded things to use the code? And you know, maybe they built in some sort of mocking there, so you could use it right there without having to connect to some other system. And then you could use it and see whether it worked or not. You could type in and try different values before even jumping into the code. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a huge potential of the, sort of the underlying language that's in Ziki, which I'm calling uh, expanding, for that to be applied as kind of a, a bridge to languages. And obviously, if you want to uh, make a really solid library or, or part of your your app, you're going to want to make, make everything you know largely kind of like OO and and use the tools that are there already. But you know, why not make a little wrapper interface on top of it that is sort of for like an interactive documentation of your code. And then when you you know, actually plug it in to where it's being called, you could call the methods directly, the underlying methods directly. Right. Do you think Ziki will, as more people get into it, encourage people to... I have this specific database that I work on that's structured X way, and you know, being able to look at a table and edit an entry is nice, but actually the things we always care about are these kinds of queries. Do you think people that get into it, it will be more tempted if you can lower that barrier enough, which it seems like you've really done a lot, is to just make a custom command that appeals specifically to them and their use cases so that they can basically just turn the standard query, quote-unquote, into the query that makes sense for them and, and use it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some people really like to sort of, you know, aren't afraid of kind of jumping in there and making their own wrapper on top of things. And, uh, you know, I've always been that type of person where, like, I'll spend a couple minutes to improve the UI and customize it to myself. And, like, I think those people are going to really kind of, really kind of love Ziki. And then people that just want to use something out of the box, like, you know, maybe some other people will, will sort of, like, write commands that, that will work well for them. So you, you talked about how Ziki used to be in Emacs Lisp. Uh, and you started playing with it that way. And then eventually, at some point, you moved it over to Ruby, you said. Yes. What, why did you make that decision? And why Ruby? And, and how did that work out? Um, let's see. I just, I loved Ruby. I never really, really, really loved Lisp. You know, common Lisp, the Lisp that most people use, is, is more fully functional than eLisp. So I, I went from eLisp to Ruby. And it was just, it was, my productivity shot up like 3x probably when I did that. 
And it's not because like Elis for what it does is is super awesome actually, and I still I still use it. But for like what Zicky does with like you know text processing and really quickly making uh you know working code and and in classes, Ruby was just a really really great fit. So that was that was probably about um I think seven years ago when I switched from Elisp to Ruby. That was about the time I I named it Zicky, and I, I'd always like I I, I guess I discovered. Uh, Ruby a, a little bit before that did sort of before that I did Java and Perl and I loved the lightweight you know uh, loosely typed like super fast concise aspects of Perl but I, I loved the OO stuff you could do in Java and Ruby seemed to me like the perfect you know combination of those two so I just sort of like fell in love with Ruby and then uh, realized that you could extend Emacs with Ruby around that time using this kind of obscure library that one of the core Ruby guys named Rubikitch wrote. It's it's a library called el for r like Elisp for Ruby. Mm-hmm. So I discovered that as like a Emacs Elisp Ruby bridge mm-hmm. and uh, kind of jumped all over it and got all excited about it. But since then, like Zicky, the, the core of it has been pulled out outside of Emacs and you know, it just runs as a, a Ruby process itself so that it can be used by other other editors. That's interesting. Yeah, that was one of the areas that I was having trouble with when I was setting up was getting EL for R to work properly. Yeah, a lot of people have, have had issues with it. I need to um I'm, I'm in the in the process of like sort of improving the EL for R uh, library itself. I made a gem out of it and um I've improved it like with the error handling and stuff. And uh, I think I'm I'm not too far away from making all those things transparent and making those errors, just not even like making people not even know that that's running behind the scenes and just have everything work by default. Yeah. I did notice that you have taken over the maintenance of that library. Yeah. Is it mostly Emacs Lisp or is it mostly Ruby? The library itself? Yes. It's like half and half roughly. They're kind of two main files. There's one giant Elisp file and one giant Ruby file that talk to each other. So interesting. One thing that I'm curious about is if somebody's getting started with Zicky, where do you recommend they start? I mean, you at this point you you know you clone the repository and you run the command to put it into your path, but you know are there certain things that kind of come naturally to people when they start fiddling with Zicky? Well, the the new answer for that is going to be uh, they should start by using the xsh command, which lets you, it's like the expanding shell, the Zicky shell. It lets you run commands right from your console and kind of like they'll work with, it'll let you stay in Z shell or bash and use Zicky commands, you know, kind of in conjunction with your shell and jump in and out of Zicky. So the the high, high level answer is I recommend people wait uh, a few weeks until I get that out there. Because that's going to make the initial user experience so much nicer. Like you'll just be in your shell and you'll type xsh space ls or just xsh to jump into Zicky shell and then type a command there. And I'm going to make it as user friendly as I can. Like have you guys ever used Pico? Yeah. You know how on the bottom they have like the uh, commands you need, right? Right there on the screen. Yeah. So like Control X to quit is I think there's. Uh, so I'm going to do that. I'm just going to have I think just three of the main commands. So Control E to expand and collapse. Control Q to quit. Uh, and then control K, I think, to show more keys. And then when you do control K, it'll show you a list of keys that you can drill into. So it's going to be really, um, it'll hold your hand to get used to, to things. I'll have a, a nice tutorial that you'll be able to navigate to from, uh, control K probably that'll walk you through things. So that's, 
that's going to be a, a way more a nice experience than the what you have to do right now, which is go you know, uh, check out the Git repository and go through some sort of hellish installation steps. It's not hellish for everyone. Some people it just works, especially on, I think, Linux. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty seamless, but most people run into these really bad installation issues. And even when you do get it up and running, if you haven't like watched the screencasts and like know what to expect, it's not gonna, it's not gonna help you through that. So the user experience is kind of bad, which is, you know, largely what the Kickstarter is about. And it passed. Thank God. And thank everyone that contributed. Hugely appreciative of that. And so now I'm going to uh, make that uh, the big priority. So the overall advice is like just wait a, a few weeks and then it'll it'll uh, hopefully be a one-line installer that'll have a really great experience. That's awesome. That's something to look forward to. I was actually talking to another friend of mine the other day about it. We know this person that is really never programmed or been a very tech-savvy person and they're kind of interested in just learning a little bit and seeing what it's like. And we were talking about good first steps and... One of them was, well, we should put them on some Linux distro just so they can start interacting with the command line and stuff like that. Cause mm. again, you get kind of this concept of composability and, you know, pipelining commands together, which I think are all kind of fundamental to programming. But I actually like the idea of, you know, Zicky when it's really reaches this user friendly point. I think I might recommend that as a, like a great first step. You know, and starting cool. to see this, uh, and this ability to put out commands and drill down so you get, you know, the shell without all of its obscureness, you know, and, and way better discoverability and being able to dig in. I think that would be an easier on ramp for people to start getting into this kind of stuff. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. One of the like sort of marketing kind of messages that you have to worry about when you do a Kickstarter, which I hate, one of the messages I kind of, toyed with was like, hey, bringing the power of shell commands to everyone, which I think kind of lost the interest of some of the power users who actually probably are like the core audience of, of Zicky. But yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, they're, they're everyone that has a Mac. Basically now every computer you have, it has hundreds of shell commands installed by default and they're all super powerful, but they don't give you a friendly interface if you're not a techie person. So there, there's this amazing power sitting on everyone's computer kind of unutilized. I think that little like, you know, piece of what Zicky can do where it takes those and, and makes them, you know, uh, discoverable basically is kind of an awesome, yeah, like almost side effect of, of what I'm trying to do with it. Yeah, it's interesting how it does seem to affect at both ends. I mean, you know, uh, users get the easier time into it and discovering what's there, which may help them find commands. I mean, how many people find GIF's ref long command until they actually need it, right? Or oh, yeah. That's, and I think the, I, yeah. I think I only know about one fourth of the awesome Git features. <laughs> right. And so there's that. And then at the same time, you know, for power users, I'm a super big, you know, automate everything guy. And for me, it gives me the easier command creation to, you know, do things a certain way, the, the way I prefer them and, and stuff. And so I feel like it does a good job of appealing to both audiences. Cool. James, you and I should pair. You could probably come up with a, a few kind of amazing automated type ideas that I probably would never have, have thought of. I would love to get your uh, perspective on a lot of the kind of things I'm mulling through now as far as like next steps and stuff. Yeah, I'll have to do that someday. And everyone else should pair with me. Like I've got basically an open invitation to the world to, to pair. And I, I think that's, that's an awesome way of making an open source work. So follow me. I'm at, in line. Awesome. You guys will clearly be at the front of the line. 
In addition to my Kickstarter rewards people who did a reward for pairing, I'll, I'll probably have to do them first, which I'm really looking forward to. I but yeah, everyone else. Interesting use of rewards. You know, like you had the rewards, like you said, where it was like, you know, think up some command, I'll pair with you on it and we'll make it. So it, it was <laughs> neat in that it let them get some buy in and help like they were, you know, influencing the project. And then you get access to these new ideas. And like you say, you're going to see some things you never would have thought of, you know, and I think that's cool. Thanks. Yeah. It was, that was a, I thought that was kind of risky uh, for me to make that a reward, but I was really happy that people kind of bought into it. And uh, that seemed as exciting for them as it did for me. Um, yeah. Anyone who wants to pair, like just follow me at uh, Twitter X I K I and just tweet, let's pair and we'll, we'll get a, we'll pick a time and do like an hour, I've done I've done a bunch of them. They've all been so fun, um, remotely and or locally. I've paired with people in like you know Federico in Argentina. I've paired with him several times. Had amazing uh, pairing sessions and ideas that came out of that. He's actually extended Zicky in a few kind of awesome ways. I need to pair with him again about that. And then people in like the UK and just all over the world. Done pairing sessions with them. I promise I'll make it fun. Like I'm not looking to rope you in to be a contributor and like say like hey now you're committed and you have to do it again. Like no, just one time commitment. An hour or two hours. We can pick something that you like to do you know, and make a command for it, you know, like some library, some JavaScript library, or just gem or, or node module or whatever, uh, NPM module, like we can just make a little wrapper around it, something that, that you're interested in. We can just brainstorm about a few things like, hey, what are you interested in? Find something that's exciting for both of us and just like knock it out in a few minutes and make a command. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to doing that. And, you know, once I get once I get the one line installer, that'll be obviously way more attractive to people. You talked a while ago about how you can talk, you can program it with Ruby, with JavaScript, with Python, and you kind of made this really bold statement of, oh, you can program it from any language. Have you developed like kind of like an SOA style, like an API communication layer? And is, is that how you integrate with things? Or like if I wanted to add like a JLang interface to it or mm -hmm. a Java interface to it, would I have to sit down and write like a wrapper module or something like that? Yeah, but it's pretty, it's pretty thin. Like basically you'd have to, add, you'd have to make a class that, and, and then like modify a couple files in the Zicky source where it sort of like registers it, registers like the extent, the file extension and says, yeah, shell to this. And it's, it's kind of like code that manually just like, just like grabs the, the source of the command from the file, appends the stuff at the top where it makes the uh, path variable just sort of like by inserting it in that command language. It's very lightweight. And then it writes, well, it usually pipes that to the command, like the whatever JRuby command or, or whatever. And then it gets the output and then inserts it. So it's pretty thin, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not entirely pluggable. You'd have to like modify the, the core source, but it's probably doable in, in like a half an hour, hour, especially That's if someone cool. wants. If someone wants to do that, like it'd, it'd be pretty hard for them to do it on their own, probably to figure out my crazy source code. But you know, just ping me and we'll pair on it, and we can knock we could knock it out in a half an hour, hour adding you, another language. You've you've already got a Twitter invite from me for let's pair. Just Sweet. I'm just saying. I'm awesome. just saying. <laughs> what are you doing Accepted. after the show today? <laughs> Pairing with you. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really looking forward to just getting this working. And the thing is, is that I see a lot of potential here. One thing that I think would be really interesting is if you could set up Zicky so that you could use the command interface to run things on remote machines. And I know that you can set it up so that you could do that through local commands like Capistrano and things like that. But I'd really be curious to see where things could go in that way. That wouldn't be hard. SSH and some command runs it on a local machine. Oh, that's so. true. You could definitely, you, you can make a command for it yourself fairly easily. It's not hard. Yeah, I've actually got, got a few things. Like I've got 
out of the box file navigation and running shell commands like the Ziki commands will do that. And then I've got for memorize.com, I've got tons of commands that uh, run things on the remote server. Yeah. It's just basically Ruby code that uh, you make, you know, uses the uh, SSH gem to, to connect and run commands and show me the output. I've got, yeah, tons of things that do sort of like, I've got like a, you know, memorize.com prod menu that will like restart the server that will clear out the cache that'll you know let me interact with the models and uh you know deploying i've got things that'll you know that'll restart apache and stuff you can do that asynchronous or synchronously because sometimes you want to like you know especially if it's prod you don't want to like hide too much of that so you just make ziki commands that will launch a shell and run a command and then you can see the output there and then run more commands and stuff one more aspect of ziki that i want to talk about is it has a web component to it do you want to talk about that for a second yeah. So basically, if you have, if you make an interface, a user interface by like making this two space indenting, like say you've got states as your command name, and then underneath that you've got uh, whatever northern states, southern states, and underneath that you've got a list of states. That's a general purpose UI. Like backing up for a second, like think about what the difference is between like you know you've got like a foo menu in your menu bar, like on the Mac or whatever, and you click that, and then it ex- drops down and you see a bar item. What's the difference between that? And uh, on the command line, typing foo and then seeing bar as a result, what's the difference between that and, you know, having a a directory named foo and you expand it and you see a file named bar? What's the difference between all those things and seeing an icon on your desktop called foo and you double click on that and it shows you bar or a button in some UI, you know, that's labeled foo and you click on that and it shows you bar. Like, what's the difference between all those things? And, you know... Also, what's the same in all those things? Like, there's something there that can be abstracted out. You know, a similar, similar thing you, you mentioned specifically the web. So, what's the difference between like, you know, typing a URL, foo.com, and it shows you bar? So, there's something there that could be abstracted out. And that's kind of at the core of what Zaki is all about. And the simplest possible text only way I think of, of doing that is you just have like nested plain text with nested indenting. So you have foo and indented underneath that is bar. And from there, you can obviously have bar and multiple things underneath it. And then you can go recursive. And then you've got 75% of what most user interfaces do, even though they're pretty and uh, have like intuitive layouts and different ways of interacting. They're fundamentally just nested lists uh, in many ways. So, you know, you've got this general format that you uh, typed out or you made interactive by a command or a class or a script. Ziki out of the box will draw a mobile interface for that. So it comes with a web server. And it will draw a mobile interface, like, you know, with a standard kind of like pill shaped buttons for your items and let you, let you navigate that way. I want to, it also has bootstrap, you know, support where you can kind of nest those into the items. From there, like, you know, there are all these devices, uh, you know, different types of smartphones coming out there, like 10 smartwatches coming out. If you ever go to like the smartwatch aisle of, of like Best Buy, um, there are so many of these, these devices. I have a Pebble and it's great. Uh, Samsung's making one, Google supposedly, and Apple are making smartwatches. And all these devices are uh, going to have and already have their like different specific API for making apps for them. Like I had to write in C in this crazy language for a, to make a Pebble app. To me, that's crazy in 2014 that there's not just some general UI language that you can just type out in a few lines and then deploy that to, you know, your... Android to your iPhone to your Pebble watch to web browsers to, uh, you know, like that's insane that we don't have that. And, you know, the the first thing that most people are going to think in response to that is, oh, well, for apps to be useful, they need to make device specific calls. And that's that's a very, very true point. So, you know, but that doesn't mean don't make, you know, that doesn't mean throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
like right. there, there should be a general open user interface, uh, like language for defining user interfaces. And then you can deploy that to a bunch of devices. And then if you want to make something device specific or make it look pretty, you can add to that structure something that will like, you know, make a call to the GPS or a sort of style the UI instead of a, a standard mobile looking interface with items that just slide back and forth. You know, you could you could easily add style on top of that to make it into like, you know, make a different looking navigation or make some crazy touch interfaces. Like an example of, of a, a use case for doing that where you wouldn't even need any code is uh, I just went to a forward JS conference and, you know, like all conferences, they have like a schedule on a web page that you have to like kind of go to and your your phone sometimes doesn't work and like you don't know what's next and you end up walking up to the, uh, you know, the, the big board that lists out the, the rooms and the schedules. Like how cool would it be if you could just type out this basically a, a textual outline and then say, hey, everyone can download this and deploy it to their watch, to their phone as like an app. You don't even need to do any code. You know, it's just like the schedule. So you've got like day one, day two is your root items underneath that, like room one, room two, room three, and then underneath that, the talks. And then underneath that, you can have like a heading. I've got like a wiki syntax for headings and paragraphs that describe it. And then, you know, I can deploy it to my my watch, you know, and be walking in the conference and navigate the schedule. Because fundamentally, like, most UIs you look at, like I, like I said, they boil down to just nest glorified uh, nested items. And, you know, a lot of times the glorification is really important, but, you know, that could be added on to a structure that's easily deployed. I would love to stick you in a room with Steve Klabnik and say, hypermedia APIs, go. I'm just sitting here listening to him talking. All I can think of is, I love the world you're dreaming of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to dream. That's right. It's, it's funny. You talked about the going from foo to bar. What's the difference and what's the same? And mm-hmm. the, the thing that's different is what happens when you land on bar. Mm-hmm. But what's the same is navigation from foo to bar. It reminds me of I do mode for Emacs. Where, like, you start typing, like, you you go to open a file and, you know, you start typing. You can do this in uh, TextMate or Sublime as well. You, like, Command F or, you know, Command T to search or whatever. And you start, you you type, like, you're looking for, you know, my test file. So you type MTF and it finds my test file. And, you know, you can do it it. You can do it in GitHub too, which is and you can do yeah yeah. yeah. And ultimately, from my experience, I saw it happen in Emacs first. I'm not saying Emacs did it first. I think it was Um, TextMate actually. Well, no, I do. I do predates it probably. Well, uh, hang on. Let me let me let me specify because I believe it was. I saw the, the the fuzzy file find in TextMate first. I did, but somebody pulled it into Emacs, and then they said, "Wait a minute, navigation is the same thing." as navigation, as navigation, as navigation. And I do mode suddenly just became this ELISP function that given a list and a text pattern will give you a filtered list. And in TextMate, it was in a bundle and it was stuck. All you could use it for was searching for files. But in Emacs, all of a sudden, you can use it to search the command that you want to run next, or you can use it to find files anywhere on your hard drive, or you can use it to sift through text in a buffer and, uh, or to find recent files in the recent, you know, in the recent F buffer. And it was like the Emacs guys were the ones that got that. Oh, wait, big list filter, small list. And getting from foo to bar is the same in all of these. The only thing that's different is what happens when you land on bar. Yeah, what's what's also really interesting is that kind of paradigm 
is working its way into uh, like end user apps like Facebook. You can go to the their bar mm-hmm. and type uh, like calendar and then jump to the calendar. So there's like basically text where you can just type in some text to you know basically navigate a really broad namespace when you want to a tree with like you know really wide first level. That's all of a sudden, in the last few years, it's becoming acceptable, and just text interfaces in in general, like, are starting to, you know, like, it's starting to become acceptable. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but to, like, for me, ten years ago, if you were a developer on a project and you said, like, you know, some some PM was saying, like, hey, we need to, or, or a product person was saying, we need a feature where we want to uh, like reference other users. Most developers would tend to say, like, hey, we'll just have a little character for that that they can type in, like, sort of like code, you know? And that'll mean they, they can type the character and then the username or whatever, and then we're done. And your, your product person would say, like, no way, we need a GUI for it. My users would, would mess that up. There's no way they could just type something. They'd type the wrong thing. Right. And maybe that, maybe that was true 10 years ago, but, uh, you know, since then, people are just so much more savvy and they've typed email addresses with at signs and URLs and with, you know, colon slash slash. And now, like, you know, you're on Twitter and you're like, hey, uh, you want to reference another user? It's just at Steve. You want to do a hashtag? It's hash whatever. And then they can have a little GUI on top of that. Like when you do at someone, it'll autocomplete for you. But yeah, this power of just like text, the kind of wiki-ish kind of power is just really kind of taking off. And, you know, there's so many things that aren't obvious right away, but, but you, you see it in practice. Like with Twitter, like if you see someone that tweeted, you know, hashtag, uh, Ruby Rogues, by looking at that, you know how to do it yourself. Cause you're looking at the source basically and it's transparent. So you can be you're like, a oh, example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can like, I can make a tweet and do hash Ruby Rogues. And I just did what they did. You take examples, you can learn by example and you can do what other people did. If it was a GUI, yeah, yeah that would be more friendly for probably people that were less tech savvy, but they'd have to type, like they'd have to click an insert button and they'd have to search to narrow down to type, find the username and they would insert something with like a special style. But then when you looked at it, it would be opaque. You wouldn't know how that person did that. That's awesome. I have to tell a funny story related to that. I used to spend tons of time in the TextMate IRC channel. And uh, when they wanted to show each other code, they had a command in TextMate that they would pick. And, you know, you highlight some code and you pick this command and you could tell it to send it to, you know, a channel on IRC. And it would put it up on Pasty, I think is what they used back then. And uh, then drop a link in the IRC channel and it would just be your username and it would say pasted colon and then the link to the thing. And so I saw people doing that, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of this TextMate command that did all the steps for you. And so when I wanted to show them code, I would go to Pasty, put my code in there, but get it, get the URL, go in and type <laughs> pasted colon and dump in my URL. So I was like mimicking how they were doing it. And it was a long time before they realized I had no clue and I was doing this manually. I think I typoed it one day or something. And they're like, wait, the command didn't do that. And uh, are like, you typing that? Yeah. They're like, are you just doing that? And then they told me about the command. And it was like, wow. That's funny. It's awesome. Yeah. People do some awesome things in IRC channels. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, which reminds me, I need to like, I need to, we, I had a few people in the Ziki, someone su- suggested a Ziki IRC channel, so I need to get that, I need to hang out in there more. It's a good one. Well, thanks, Craig. Jeez, this is crazy cool. Should we do the pick so that we can get to the end of the show so that I can pair it with Craig? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Right. David, why don't you do the picks first then? I have one pick today, and it is freaking awesome. It's weird. It sounds like a Stephen Wright joke. In fact, it was a Stephen Wright joke 10 years ago, but I have bought a wireless extension cord. So I I have weird 
hearing. Okay. I, I cannot tell the difference between like a, a 48K MP3 and 128K. I just can't hear the difference in the quality. I, I, I just can't. But you put me in headphones that have any kind of hiss or any kind of noise and it will drive me right up the wall. It makes me absolutely crazy. So as a result, I'm a little bit of an, I, I, I'm not an audio snob because I can't tell the difference between like file formats and file quality, but I am an audio hardware snob because the hiss and the pop and the crackle makes me absolutely crazy. And as a result of this, I've got a pair of really nice, uh, I've, I've got the Bose, uh, sound system, little speakers, you know, the size of coffee can type things, pair on my desk, whatever. And I've got a pair of Bose QC15, the quiet comfort over the ear, noise canceling. Uh, I may have picked those on a previous show. If not, that's a bonus pick. Uh, the Bose QC, QC15, it's like electronic riddle and I can put them on and just all distractions just kind of go away. It's wonderful. The problem is that the Bose QC15 plugs into my Bose sound system. And again, I'm not like bragging about I have this great sound system. I'm saying I have to have something this quiet when it's trying to be quiet or it makes me crazy. And the problem with it is that it's got a six foot cord. I am tied to my desk and I have tried every kind of Bluetooth headset. I went out and bought uh, a set of Bluetooth headphones and I, I put them in and tried to do the show with them last week. And you guys remember I had all kinds of audio problems. When I did have audio working, it was hissing and popping and cracking. It was just all kinds of problems. It turns out that the problem was that the computer I was using was using an old version of Bluetooth that didn't have really high quality audio transmission on it. And it had really poor range. And gosh, you know what I wanted? I wanted to be able to plug something into my Bose sound system that would turn it into a Bluetooth transmitter. And I wanted something that I could plug into my Bose QC15 headset and turn them into Bluetooth-enabled headphones. And guess what? It exists. Gentlemen, I give you the Indigo BTR9. <laughs> it's a little box about the size of a matchbook. Okay, you plug it into USB and you charge it up and then you pull it off. It's got a headphone jack on it and you plug your headphones into it and you push the pair button and it will pair with any Bluetooth transmitter. And ta-da, you've got Bluetooth, you've got a Bluetooth headset out of any good pair of head, good quality pair of headphones that you want. I still have this problem that the machine I'm transmitting, you know, that I'm, I'm podcasting from has, it's, it's, it's a machine built in 2008. It's got Bluetooth like 1.0, doesn't have good high quality Bluetooth transmission on it. Well, guess what? The Indigo BTR9 has a button on the side that you, a switch on the side that goes from RX to TX. And so I bought two of them. The other one, you plug in a patch cord from the BTR9, you plug it into your headphone jack on your speaker outputs, and then you hold the two of them together, and this is the beautiful part, there's like six questions going, can I pair these things together? And the manufacturer's writing back on every single one saying, yes, we designed them explicitly to like to pair with each other, to prefer to pair with each other. So you can plug this into a headphone jack, and now if you've got Bluetooth headphones, you're done. You can pair your headphones with this little tiny box. But the beautiful thing is if you've got two of them, like I just bought last week, you can take them both, put one in transmit, one in receive, hold them next to each other, push the pair buttons and hold them next to each other. And they go, oh, hey, it's you. Oh, hey, it's you. And they pair. And I have been podcasting today with my QC15 headphones on and my sound coming through my Bose sound system. And I actually went out to the kitchen and got a drink of water halfway through the show and I never 
lost the call. I, I, I listened to you guys talking. I couldn't talk on my mic, but because it's in here, but I was able to go out and get a drink of water. I could still hear Craig talking. I was able to come back and it's my nice headphones. It's my nice sound system and it's the Indigo BTR9. This is the first tech pick that I've actually wanted to just rave and rave and rave about. They're the size of a matchbook. The audio amp, when you've got it in receive mode, will drain the battery in about six hours. The Bluetooth transmitter in transmit mode will drain it in about 11 hours. And so basically you can get most of a day of audio listening with full-blown Bluetooth with your good headphones on on a single charge. And it's freaking awesome. And that's uh, way too much talking about one thing. I could pick something else, but I'll save it for next week. So that's my pick, the Indigo BTR9. It's freaking awesome. Get two of them because that makes them even awesomer. That does actually sound scary cool. It does. I think you just spent some of my money, Dave. They're about 30 bucks a pop. So I've, I've just spent 60 bucks of your money on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. James, what are your picks? I got two picks today. Uh, since Avdi's not here, we'll, we'll have an Avdi tribute. He has a great blog post recently called Where Do Ideas Come From? And this is a strange phenomenon I've experienced too. When people know you and, and you're out there and you're kind of public, they come up to you and say, how do you get all these ideas? And which is like a super weird question in my opinion, but Avdi answers it here with as only Avdi can. And he gives you the address you write off to and they send you the ideas in the mail and it's just great. No, seriously, if you believe any of that, you have to go read this blog post because it tells you how people come up with ideas and it's great stuff. Good post. Number two, I just saw this the other day. I believe it was Katrina that tweeted about it and tipped me off to it, but Pat Maddox has this new mailing list that is doing Ruby lessons like every single day and he's rotating through topics. So Monday's like Ruby, Tuesday Rails, Wednesday TDD, Thursday object-oriented programming, and Friday refactoring, which is like just amazing collection of neat ideas. That's um, cool. Yeah, once a week, it's going to do like a video interactive lesson each week and then code examples and notes on each other day. Super cool and insanely priced at free right now, which I can't even fathom. So, yeah, if you're not subscribed up to Ruby Steps yet, that's what it's called, uh, I expect us to just bury their web server as soon as this episode goes out. So that's my charge to you. Bring that sucker down. That's it. Those are my picks. Very cool. So I've got a couple of picks here. I've been doing some pairing, mostly with Federico. We talked about him on the show a bit. And one of the tools that's really handy for doing this is the Chrome Remote Desktop plugin for Chrome. It's a Chrome app. And yes, it actually does Remote Desktop. Uh, there are two options for it. One is to actually, you can share it. So you just share your screen and you give somebody else a PIN number. They put it in and you're good to go. And then the other option is, is you can actually set it up so that you can connect to it with your own pin number. And yeah, that pretty much makes it so that you can connect to your machine from somewhere else if you have that pin number. So I really, really like it. It's, it's been really nice. But the other nice thing about it is that if I share my desktop, I can actually share my mouse and keyboard or share the mouse and keyboard with whoever I'm pairing with. Uh, Skype just doesn't do that. Screen Hero does, but Screen Hero doesn't work on Linux. Anyway, so that's one thing that I've really been liking. So go check that out. The only other pick I have is I'm just excited to get devchat.tv launched. 
So keep an eye out for that. We also just started a new podcast on devchat.tv, and it's called Adventures in Angular. So if you want to check it out, go to adventuresinangular.com. Not you guys on the show because it's not launched yet, but it'll be launched by next week. So if you're listening to this show after it's been released, then it should be out there and available. We'll have two episodes out and be recording the third next Wednesday. So anyway, those are my picks. Craig, what are your picks? Uh, my first pick is Mission Bit. It's a nonprofit group here in San Francisco in the Bay Area that teaches code to high school and middle school students for free. You can you can volunteer and you know tutor kids. My second pick is a project of another project of mine. It's my craziest project, which you guys said would be okay picking my own because it's not like there's no chance for making a profit out of it. It's just this crazy font for reading in binary dots. It's dotsies.org, D-O-T-S-I-E-S.org. It's a true type font and there's a, a bookmarklet too where you can like, you know, display your text as binary dots, kind of like reading QR codes, uh, which is way more, uh, horizontally condensed and, uh, like, Visually simpler, so shapes are more recognizable at smaller sizes. I think there's a chance something like that is, you know, is gonna, gonna be part of the future. Like, you know, the alphabet ABC has been around for thousands of years and hasn't really changed fundamentally. My craziest project, it's, it's out there. I admit it. Uh, <laughs> the third one is a book called Surfaces and Essences by Douglas Hofstetter. Uh, I read it over many months, finished it up a few months ago. And it's, it's really kind of those changed the way I think about, uh, a lot of things. Uh, the sort of theme of the book is like analogy is the core of all thinking. And it's very readable. It's, it's really long and, uh, kind of repeats points a lot. It, you know, it's sort of, uh, tells stories and it doesn't beat you up with terminology. It just says like, Hey, think things this way. And it goes into very specific ways that, uh, you know, sort of analogies between thoughts and recognizing kind of similarities and sameness in, in concepts and categories is kind of like what's going on in your mind. And it's, it's really cool. Like a lot of the reviews kind of say it's repetitive and it kind of is. But sort of in a way that like, you know, the origin of species uh, is repetitive or it kind of, you know, it's an idea that's drilled over and over, but it's such an important idea and so kind of hard to grasp that to me it was it was really great. And, and uh, can I do a fourth really quick? Yeah, go ahead. So Ward Cunningham, the guy who uh, invented the original wiki, is working on a new project, the smallest federated wiki, which is kind of mind blowing. And it's like uh, taking the wiki concept and like letting you have your own wiki that exists on a server and then sharing stuff between other people's wikis. So that's, uh, that's all I got. Awesome. You also mentioned Memorize.com. Do you want to give us like the two-minute pitch on that? It's a very wiki-ish, lightweight website for learning. It's sort of like the Twitter of learning where your content that you learn is very boiled down into facts, sort of like questions and answers or like key and value. You can think of it sort of like flashcards, uh, but there are also other processes. And I've got a lot of med students that use it. If you have a lot of information that you want to commit to your memory, and you want to be able to sort of like restructure it, organize it into different smaller groups, add little hints, like, you know, have it be not just a big sort of spreadsheet of things to memorize, like most kind of learning memorize sites. If you want to be able to sort of like move things around and, and add notes and then uh, collaborate with people, you know, check it out, memorize.com. And soon, within, I don't know, a few months, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll probably several because, because I'm, you know, I uh, can be focusing on the, Zicky stuff, obviously, but at some point I'm going to have what I think is just a revolutionary feature for collaborative learning that's also very kind of fact-focused, which I'm, I'm super excited about. Very cool. Cool project. Yeah. Thanks. The font page totally sucked me in, like fly paper. <laughs> I went there the other day, you sent us an email about yeah, it, yeah. and then I just... I'm poking around, like, this is crazy, and I just <laughs> couldn't leave. It was amazing. 
Yeah, read the at the bottom. There's a like a tutorial where it starts in the Roman alphabet ABC, and then you read through it, and it gradually turns into dots. Right, and people can get through it between uh, like a half an hour and three hours. It seems like people can get through it, and you'll be reading in dots by the end of that. You'll be super slow, but if you want something that's just like a mind warping experience, go you know take a couple <laughs> hours and do that. It's cool. Everybody should go check it out. It's break your brain cool. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it. So uh, be reading the Refactoring Ruby Edition book and catch you all next week. A special thanks to HoneyBadger.io for sponsoring Ruby Rogues. They do exception monitoring, uptime, and performance metrics and are an active part of the Ruby community. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlor.